This is the Rise City Church Sermon Podcast. We are a church in Gresham, Oregon, on a mission to rise up and saturate our city with the gospel. We would love for you to join us on Sundays. For more information, check out our website, rise.cc. Whether you already follow Jesus or are exploring Christianity, we hope that you experience the power of God through this message. are doing well. I like it. Hey, so we are in week 16 of Covered in Dust. That's four months of looking at discipleship. What what does it mean to actually follow after Jesus? And so we've been looking at, hey, how, how do we love Jesus more? How do we spend time with him? How do we become formed in his image? How do we actually join him on his mission? And uh, I actually had a gal message me yesterday and she just said, look, I've been a Christian for eight years. And in those eight years, this is the single most helpful series I've ever been a part of because we're looking at the core thing. What does it mean to follow after Jesus? So these last few weeks, we've been dealing with some heavy subjects uh, when it looks to wholeness and healing. How do we actually, how do we change? And so we looked at this idea that we are new in Christ. In Christ, we are a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. And and how do we walk through that? What does that look like? Last week, we looked at this idea of how do we heal from the pain of our past. This week, we're going to be looking at how do we deal with the pain of our present? And specifically, how do we find hope and healing when it comes to the dealing with anxiety and depression. These are emotions and their feelings that we all go through on a regular basis. And so what does the scripture tell us if we are new creations, if we're going to experience transformation in Jesus, how do we actually walk these things out in the day today and now, not just the things of our past, but the things of now. So we're going to look at a story of an old Testament prophet named Elijah. So if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to first Kings chapter 19. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bible spread throughout the room, Um, but I would love for you to follow along the story in the text. I'll be putting the verses up on the screen so you can follow along that way. But the context is in the Old Testament, a prophet is somebody who speaks on behalf of God. And so they have this calling to be a messenger of God. And so oftentimes they would say, thus saith the Lord. And there would be this brutal backlash or this fallout from the community around them. So Elijah in particular in 1 Kings 18, he has his, his pivotal, this climactic moment in his ministry where there's been a drought for multiple years. And he has this, fa- this kind of face-off with the prophets of Baal, this foreign God. And he says, you know, pray to your God and, you know, have him bring down, you know, fire and nothing happens. And, and Elijah, you know, they slaughter this, this uh, cow and they pour all this water on the altar and then God sends fire down and then the rains come. And it's just this incredible moment. And oftentimes after our highest of highs, we experience our lowest of lows. And this is what we see. So this is the context here in first Kings 19, starting in verse one, Ahab told Jezebel. Ahab is a king. Jezebel is his wife. And Jezebel is this evil evil, evil queen. She is the one who has led the nation into worshiping Baal. And she has slaughtered and killed most of Israel's prophets. So Ahab tells Jezebel all that Elijah had done, what just happened in the previous chapter and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of of one of them 
by this time tomorrow. So she's threatening to kill Elijah. Then he was afraid and he arose and he ran for his life and he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die saying, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take my life for I am no better than my father's. See, here's what I want you to see. First of all, you are not alone. You may feel like, man, I'm the only one who faces what I face. I'm the only, there must be something wrong with me that I have these anxious thoughts and emotions on a regular basis. There must be something wrong with me that I feel in this deep depression on a regular basis. You are not alone. As we open the scriptures, we see story after story of these uh, heroes of our faith. Their lives are marked with sorrow. Their, their, their lives oftentimes can even be marked by fear and anxiety. And so when we look at Elijah's emotional state, what does it say? He says, he's afraid. He's experiencing anxiety. I've had enough. He's experiencing depression. He arose and ran for his life. He has this paranoia. It says he, he says, take my life. He's suicidal. Okay. Everyone in some way, shape or form deals with anxiety, discouragement, and depression. So please hear, hear this. There is a lie that you're being told in your head, in your heart, that you are the only one dealing with what you're dealing with. That is not true. We see, we see the example in biblical heroes and we see the example in brothers and sisters in the faith constantly. So, so let me talk, let me give a little bit of an overview of what, what we're talking about when we talk about anxiety and what we're talking about when we talk about depression. So we're kind of all, all on the same page and you'll recognize some of these things in your life. First, anxiety, it, it, anxiety is a feeling of worry or nervousness of, or unease typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. So we feel this when like, man, I don't know how this is going to go down. I don't know what's going to happen with my job. I don't know what's going to happen in the economy. I don't know what's going to happen in this conversation. You know, you start to feel, so you have, it starts out as fear and fear is an absolutely normal emotion. You're going to feel it on a regular basis, but anxiety is what happens when fear grows unchecked. It becomes this overwhelming thing where you feel anxious about it. It's when fear is perverted and warped into something long lasting and drawn out. And so it takes over your mind. It moves from something tangible that you can explain. This is what I'm afraid of to this hypothetical. Well, this could happen. Or what if this happens? Uh, your, your mind becomes filled with what ifs that just suffocate your brain. You feel like you can't think clearly. You can't fall asleep at night. You can't relax. You can't take time off. It is a mental, it, it, it is a mental experience. It happens in the brain, takes place in the realm of the mind, but often it can grow physical. It, it, anybody who's dealt with anxiety, you know, like, Oh, that heaviness that you, you're like, man, I'm having a hard time, like taking a breath. It feel you, you may feel like you have physical weight on your chest, uh, your heart, it begins to race. And, 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 you know, you, it, so it starts in the mind and it converts to the body and you feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders. Now, now, now depression is similar, but different depression. It's severe despondency or dejection. Typically felt over a period of time and accompanied by feelings of hopelessness and adequacy. Okay, so if anxiety is rooted in fear, depression is actually rooted in sorrow. Now, sorrow is a normal feeling. 
It's part of being human. You feel grief. You feel lament, pain, suffering. These are normal human emotions. But when sorrow stretches out over long periods of time and it seems to never go away and it seems to just be like this dark cloud that hangs over everything, that's when you know you're dealing with depression. Depression is when sorrow becomes a way of life, not just a phase. It seems like your life just gets worse with each passing day. You're sad. You feel this sadness and you couldn't even explain people are like, why are you sad? You're like, I don't even know if I could give a reason why I'm sad. No matter how hard you try or fight or work, you cannot pull yourself out of this mood. Even, even the things that normally would give you joy and pleasure. They just don't, they, t- they, they feel like ash in your mouth, your family and friends, they feel distant. You're tired all the time. Even the dreams and desires you once had, they seem to have faded away. It is deep emotional experience and it affects and ruins the realm of the soul. It is widespread. Listen to me. If any one of those is something that you are like, yep, I felt that you are not alone. Many brothers and sisters in this room, we, we have experienced that. We have gone through that. And no matter what fight, war, dysfunction, pain, sorrow, tragedy, or struggle you are coming up against, there is always a way out. There is always hope in Christ. And, and what I love about the scriptures is how raw and real they are. We're dealing with this prophet. He's a prophet. He is chosen by God to be a messenger and to be a mouthpiece. He's this biblical hero. And yet he is dealing with anxiety and depression on a very real way. Many others have walked through this valley and have found their way out. And there is hope for you. God is near you. No matter how dark it feels, God is near. He draws, it tells us he draws near to the brokenhearted. And so you are not alone. So don't battle alone. One of the best and most important things you can do is invite somebody else into the process. And if you're feeling any of these, you need to ask yourself, have I told people? Have I told friends who love me? Have I told my spouse? And you're, there's a voice in your head saying, oh no, they'll think you're weak or they'll laugh at you. That is a lie from the pit of hell. You need to welcome people in. What, what God does in response, one of the first thing God does is he actually sends someone to go be, he sends an angel to go be with Elijah. And what he lays out here, I think is an incredibly helpful framework for us. If we're feeling any of this, you may not have, maybe it's circumstantial for you. Maybe it's just a brief season. Maybe it's clinical. Maybe it's expanded. But I think this entire roadmap that we see with Elijah isn't, is helpful for us. So, so let's take a look what, what he does. Okay. Verse five. And he lay down and he slept under a broom tree and behold, an angel touched him. God sends an angel to go be with Elijah. And he said to him, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was at his head, a cake baked, a piece of bread baked on a hot stone and a jar of water. And he ate and he drank and he lay down, down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, arise and eat for the journey is too great for you. What's the first thing we need to do is we actually have to look at how we take care of our body. How are we taking care of our temple? Now you need to think biblically about your physical body because as human beings, we are both physical and spirit. We are both body and spirit. We're physical and spiritual. 
And we need to have a biblical understanding of this. We, we, we've been taught, you know, so Plato taught this, had a, a separation of the spiritual and the sacred, a separation of the physical and the spiritual. And so often we, we respond to these things and we're like, well, you just need to pray more. Like you just need to, you know, you just need to go to church more. You just need to read your Bible. Yes, there is a spiritual realm and we'll talk about that. But where we start with Elijah is actually his physical body, how he responds. Now, when God created beings, there's three types of beings he created. He created angels, he created animals, and he created humans, right? Angels are all spirit, no body. They're just purely spirit. Every once in a while we'll see in scripture, they manifest themselves in a physical realm, like this conversation that he's having right here, but they're all spirit. Animals are the opposite. They're all body, but animals don't have a soul, okay? Like when your dog is like staring out the window, he's not like, you know, contemplating, you know, his existential existence in the foundation of the world, right? He's not wrestling through the origins of the universe and the meaning of life. No, he's looking for a squirrel. It's all instinct, right? No, you can go sit next to him. You can join him in that moment. I can watch squirrels with him and he'll feel very, he'll love you in that moment. But even if you don't, he'll love you regardless. That's why we love dogs, right? We know dogs go to heaven according Disney, but they don't have a soul, right? They're just physical, they're physical beings. So you have angels that are pure spirit and you have animals that are pure body, but guess what human beings are? Both body and spirit. We see this in creation. We see it in salvation and we see it ultimately in resurrection. Look at it. Creation Genesis two, the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. That's mud and dust. This is his body is formed and he breathed life into his nostrils. The breath of life. The word there is the word pneuma spirit. And the man became a living being that even that word in Hebrew living being, it, it means the word, it means soul. And then when we're saved, we see that Jesus saves us holistically. He redeems all of life, both our spirituality and how we actually live in the physical world. First Thessalonians five says, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then at resurrection, it's not just your soul that is resurrected. You are, you have resurrected bodies. So you will always be body and spirit. You will always be body and soul. So take care of your body. The New Testament writers call it the temple. And so here, what we see is, is Elijah is going through this, this emotional depression. And what is the first thing the angel does? Speaks to his body. How is he actually responding to, to his physical body, his temple? He's called to sleep. He's called to eat. He's called to rest. He's called to journey. And so Elijah, he's burnt out, depleted, worn down. And what he needed was sleep, food, water, and time off. Like we, we've created this separation that isn't helpful. You're like, man, I feel all these things and I don't know why. You're like, well, like your diet is literally Starbucks, Red Bull, and like donuts. Like you're not going to feel great about who you are in Christ. I'm sorry. Like you're, you're, we, you are interconnected beings. And this is how God made you. So this is what we see biblically. But guess what? When it ta- in these areas, uh, modern counseling and psychology agrees. Here's a quote for you from a family counseling center. It says, so often people who feel stressed, fatigued, and mentally down are under-exercised, under-nourished, and under-rested. Often they assume that tending to the body takes too much time or is too difficult. The point is important enough to restate. You can't ignore your body and expect to feel good. 
Exercise, proper nutrition, and adequate sleep are very important in overcoming depression and preventing depression. Now, I don't know about you, but when the Bible and modern medical science are saying the same thing, we tend to listen. It's something we should listen to. You are a physical being. And this is a place to start. You need to look at these areas. Am I getting adequate sleep? Am I exercising on a regular basis? Am I eating a healthy diet? This is a part of who you are physically created to be. And in your dejected state, you know what the problem is? Your mind tells you, um, you don't want to do any of these things. So you should be, like, if you're not sleeping or you're oversleeping, yeah, it's going to put you into a state where you're, of, of where you should not be. You should be getting seven to eight hours of sleep per night. You, you know, we like, we walk around with these badges of honor. I only sleep five, five hours a night. Like, yeah, no wonder you hate your life, you know, and me too, right? You know, you're grouchy all the time. Sleep in, please. Am I actually getting enough rest? Am I being physically active on a regular basis? You know, they've done studies that show exercise can have similar effect as an antidepressant because of the levels of serotonin that are re- released in your body when you exercise. It's good for you. Man, you, so when you run or swim or bike or hike or lift weights or sweat or increase your heartbeat or you do it all and call it cr- at once and call it CrossFit, it's good for you. Okay, you, you got to do this. Yesterday, man, I, was, I just was feeling dejected. I did not have energy. I was like, man, I know I have to continue to get ready, but I, I have no energy right now. And what did I want to do? I wanted to drink like three Red Bulls and go hard after it. But I knew that's not what I need. So what did I, I went and exercised for 45 minutes. It was the, it was the worst workout I've had in like three months. But you know what, how I felt afterwards? I felt great because Sarah, because God created my body to function in a way that our bodies that serotonin is released when we exercise. So are you, are you sleeping enough? Are you actually taking care of And then are you actually eating a healthy diet? Are you paying attention to the food that, that your body actually needs? And this is important, and I just want to touch on it. You, you may actually need to ask a doctor or a counselor, do I have a chemical imbalance in my body? I, listen, I believe in God's common grace of, of what he has given us in, in things. And so medication, it's just one tool in the toolbox, but it can be a helpful tool. Like if you, were, if you had cancer, you wouldn't feel shame over taking chemotherapy. Is it poison in your body? Yes, it is. But you need it for a time being to work through that. If you have diabetes, you should not feel shame over taking insulin. That's what your body needs. And if you have clinical depression, you need to feel no shame over taking an antidepressant that is prescribed to you by, by a doctor or, or a counselor. These are good. This is God's common grace. We have to look at our bodies because we are holistic beings. We can't just say, oh, it's just a spiritual realm. No, it, it is physical as well. And this is a place to start, but we can't end there. We don't just need to look at, as we're going through this, our bodies, we also need to look at the connections that we have, in particular the connection with our creator. Look, look at what happens next with Elijah. And he arose and he ate and drank. And he went in the strength of that food, 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. There he came to a cave and he lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? What do we need? We need connection. We need to actually go to your Mount Horeb. And and what I mean by Mount Horeb is this is a place we connect with God. It's this kind of theme in the Old Testament. 
We see this Mount Horeb. It's also called Mount Sinai. So uh, Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Bible, and he led the Israelites out of Egypt. When he sees God for the first time, he sees him in the form of a burning bush. You know where that burning bush was found? It tells us where it was located. At the foot of Mount Horeb. God is revealing. he's, He's putting a call on Moses's life. And then Moses leads the Israelites out of Egypt and he goes and he meets with God. Where does he go and meet with God? He meets with God at Mount Horeb and he says, show me your glory. And God reveals his grace and his goodness. He actually, expo- he reveals himself. Moses gets a glimpse of his glory. It says Moses comes down the mountain and he's like glowing. The, the 10 commandments, where, where did Moses go meet with God to get the 10 commandments? Mount Horeb. And here with Elijah, he goes up on this mountain And God is going to remind him of his character. And he's going to remind him of his calling and who he is created to be. Our Mount Horeb is where we hear God's voice. It's where you are reminded of his nature. It's where God makes promises and covenants. It's where God reminds us who we are and what he's called us to. Listen, if you are feeling lies of the world or the lies of your head tell you that you have become something you are not, you need to do whatever it takes to meet with your creator. And go meet with him. Open his word. You will not feel like doing that. But you need his truth. Go for a walk and spend time with God in in prayer and connection. You will not feel like doing that. But you need connection in that moment. You need his voice more than anything else. And so when you connect with him, what do you do? Man, just speak honestly. God can handle your honesty. We think we have to speak in the these and the thous or the habits we've learned at church. Oh yeah. No, like open up, share with God, the things you, God can handle your anger. He can, God can handle your wounds. God can handle all the things that you're, you're feeling pain over. Look, look at this conversation that Elijah has. Listen, look at the raw emotion in his voice. He says, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. This is why I'm here. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I only, I am left. I'm the only one left who's faithful and they seek my life to take it away. God is not shocked by your emotions, but if you just cover it up and you don't actually open up to him, then he's not going to heal those parts of your life. You need to be raw and yes, speak with honor. Do not be, do not be demeaning. Yes, speak with glorify him with the words that you use, but be honoring, but also be honest, like raw honesty. See, and what he's going to tell us is we need to remove all these other distractions and all these other voices that we're listening to. This is what he tells Elijah here, verse 11. And he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. See, God has something to say to you. Something he wants to speak to you, but it's only if you'll actually come to him and listen. So often we are turning to so many other things to find our identity, to find assurance, to, to, to make us feel better. Over and over, there's all these things that we're turning to. Man, we, we, we turn to our, our, our news 
station channel feed of choice because it's a bunch of people who agree with us and say, oh, here's the problems with the world. It's out there. And if we would just agree and, and, and we would just, you know, all be on the same page, it would all be solved. Or politicians, we, we turn to our political avenue of choice. And man, and what, is, what do they say? Man, if you, if you just vote, if you just vote rightly, the world will be fixed. And every two years or every four years, we see the same stupid signs with somebody's name on it. Hope, change. Like it didn't work two years ago or four years ago or eight years ago or 32 years ago. What makes you think it's going to work now? Like, why are we putting our hope in these things or social media? Like, oh man, we go to social media for this, like this hit or this buzz. And what, what do we, what do we leave feeling? We leave feeling not good enough that everybody else's life is so much better than ours. Like, oh man, like why are their highlight reels so much better than my down moments? Because that's exactly what it is. They're curated highlight reels. And so we feel bad about ourselves or religions. They, they tell us our only worth is participation or obedience. Our own head says that you are the sum of your flaws and shortcomings. We are listening to the wrong voices and we need to connect with God. These things are discipling us away from the Lord. And we're wondering why we feel so dejected, why we feel bad about ourselves, right? Things that are literally created to make us feel bad about ourselves. So we're reliant on them. And we wonder why we feel bad about ourselves after we consume them, right? Think of it like this. Okay. So whenever somebody comes to Portland, they're always like, Hey, I know Portland, like Portland's known for its donuts. Like what are the best donuts? I've heard of blue star and I've heard of voodoo. And I'm always like, Oh, you, you are an amateur right? You can have your little bougie blue star, you know, bagel, whatever you want. Okay. Go for it. Or you can go to voodoo and get your, you know, demonic delectable. That's fine. Right. <clears throat> but the purest know the best donuts in the area is Joe's donuts and Sandy. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I feel that spirit. Yes, I do. Right. So a couple years ago, I'm out in Sandy and I'm like at a coffee shop and I'm working and, uh, you know, sermon prepping and uh, I, I'm, I'm leaving to, to go home and I see Joe's donuts and I just feel like I feel the I feel the spirit leading me. Right. <laughs> and so I go in and man, I, I always get the same thing when I go to Joe's donuts. I get they have the greatest Mabel bars on the history of humanity. You know, people are like, we landed on the moon. I'm like, you Mabel bar like that is an accomplishment. But I get them cream filled. They're just glorious. Right. And but I'm not some animal. I'm not going to eat it in the car like this is this needs to be treated with honor and respect. So I take it home and, uh, you know, I'm walking to my house. I forget I have kids. They come running towards me. And, and so but I didn't get donuts for my kids. I got me donut, right? That's not what I, right? And so what does a loving, gracious pastoral father do? He hides it behind his Bible, right? So, hey kids. Yeah. Oh, I love you guys. Okay. Don't no, go play, go, you know, go, go read. Uh, I, and I tell them, I, I, I'm like, okay, I got to go to my office, close the door. Please don't come in. You know, I, I need to work, right? Okay, dad, we're just, we're just grace with your presence. Oh, I like get out of here. Right. Okay. So I go in and I sit and, uh, and I open and I pull the bag out and I, you know, have my notes ready to go. And I, and I take that first bite and I, I kid you not, I mean, the kind of glory of God is just experiencing that moment, right? All of a sudden I, I have new insights into the scripture that I've never had before. I have this passion and this fervor and this love for the Lord. As I experience the glory, I eat this whole thing and the glory. And for 30 minutes, I'm just like energized and ready to go. 30 minutes later, I took a two hour nap, right? I'm just like, I can't, I can't function anymore. Right? Why? Because it, like it had this promise of like, oh, I'm going to experience it that it just could not deliver. And so many of us 
So many of us, we spend our lives consuming spiritual junk food and wonder why we're spiritually malnourished. These lies of the world, they will not sustain your heart for the pain and the trials of the world. We need connection with God and his truth and his word and his goodness. Stop turning to all these other places. We need to recognize the world for what it is. It's manipulative, controlling, power hungry, and in the long run, it's destructive. It does not get to name who you are. Only God does. He is the one we have to come under. And so when you feel dejected, when you feel depressed, when you feel discouraged, when you feel hurt and offended, you need to step back and realize these feelings that I'm feeling as strong as they may be, they are not telling me the truth about myself. I need to go to God's word to understand the truth about who he says I am and what he declares and what he calls me to. You will lie to yourself all day long when what you're consuming is the lies of the world. What you need is you need to go to Mount Horeb and you need to connect with God. This is why we've spent the last four months looking at spiritual practices because we want to equip you to be in your Bibles. We want to equip you to slow down and be in God's presence. This is why we look at things like Sabbath and fasting. The whole point of it is deeper connection with Jesus, not religiosity. It's relationship. And so we want you to be empowered and equipped that you can go home. And in these moments where the lies feel too much, you know where to turn and you know, it's not social media or your favorite news outlet. You know, it is the word of God and word of God alone. That's the only voice that declares who you truly are. See, the root of all this fear and sorrow cannot be fulfilled in false promises of control and temporary comfort, but only the one who offers power and hope. And his name is Jesus. Amen. And that's who defines us. And so we go to this place. And we experience this rest in his grace and we connect to his truth. And what happens is it begins to rewire our minds. Look look at this conversation as it continues. Verse 13. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord. The Lord of hosts for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. He repeats the same phrase thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even only I am left and they seek my life to take it away. The reason God asked him again is because he's actually believing lies. All these things that, that Elijah is sharing are the, at the root of them is a lie. And we'll, we'll see that how, how God co- contradicts that. But what we need is we need to rewire our thinking. Yes, we need to deal with our, we need to know we're not alone. And we need to deal with our body and we need to connect deeply with our creator because when we connect with him, he is the one who renews our minds, which brings about life transformation. We need to rewire the way we think. We are still tapped into this old source of truth 
not the new source of truth, which is the gospel. We are still trapped into our old ways of thinking and processing because we grew up in it, or it's our family of origin or the world around us. We need to rewire our minds to tap into the truth that God has laid out for us. My wife, last summer, we bought her a Mini Cooper. She's always wanted a Mini Cooper. So we went and test drove this, this used one. It was a 2016. And uh, we, we have a family of four, so we're like, well, you'll never fit in a Mini Cooper. So like, we could fit in a Mini Cooper, like maybe after, you know, after our kids are out of the house. But they came up with this like stretch Mini Cooper, right? It's got like four doors. And we went and test drove it and we're like, we could totally rock this. My wife's like, I could totally rock this, right? So I'm like, oh, here come the speeding tickets, okay? So, uh, so we buy this Mini Cooper and we love it. Everything about it is great, except for one thing. It, it's, because it's older, it does not have Apple CarPlay. Now, if you, I don't know how you will to be drive without Apple CarPlay, even know where you're going or how to even function, right? And if you've not experienced it, I, you know, may the Lord's grace and peace be upon you. But it's amazing, right? It just connects with your phone. It shows your maps. It plays your music, all these kind of things. And, and on a, a typical car, older cars, what's great is you could just buy a new head unit plug it in and it's great. But a Mini Cooper, there's a problem. They have this like fancy round dash. If you've ever watched, you know, Italian job, right? And you know, that's where the tachometer is and it's really cool. But the problem is you can't just replace that and get one that has Apple CarPlay. So there's no solution unless you do a lot of research on YouTube and eBay and you're a loving husband and you find a solution that you buy on eBay, which is never a good start to a story. And so I bought it for her, uh, uh, you know, for last Christmas, okay? And then I took it to a, a, a car stereo place, and I was like, hey, you know, here's this wiring harness that plugs into your old system. I want to get connected. And the dude looks at me. He goes, there's no way. He goes, I'm going to charge you $100 an hour. It's going to be five hours minimum, and I won't even guarantee it's going to happen because those are the hardest car, cars in the world to take apart. And I was like, challenge accepted, okay? So back in April, we had our snow day because, you know, that's what Oregon does. It's, hey, happy April snow, right? And so I wasn't going anywhere. I was like, I'm going to solve this problem today, right? 13 hours later, that car was completely, you have to pull the dash apart. You have to remove the glove box. Everything is pulled apart. And it still will not work. And I'm just like at my wits end. I'm like, what is happening? See, part of the problem was, uh, the instructions that came with it were in Japanese, and I don't read Japanese or speak Japanese. And so it's just like, I'm going by the pictures. And so I, I get to the end, and everything works except for the sound, which usually is a good thing when, it's coming to, when we're talking about a radio. So I'm like, babe, it's fine. Everything works. You just can't hear anything. Don't, don't worry about it. So finally, I kid you not, after 13 hours... I go to bed, I wake up the next day, and I'm like, I'm stubborn. I'm going to figure this out, and I keep going. And I finally found there's this little blue wire. And it says, if you have this particular blue wire, wire it's a fiber optic cable, you pull it out of the old system and plug it into the new wiring harness, and then it'll work. And I do. And I, like, I might have cried when it worked. <laughs> and I'm like, this is amazing, right? And I'm sitting there, I'm like, how stupid am I? Why would, why would the one wire that controls the audio, why would it work on the new system when it's still plugged into the old one? Yet, how often we do this with our lives. You are still tapping into the old source of truth of the world and the flesh and the devil. And Jesus is saying, no, I want to re why are you tapping to my truth and my gospel? Elijah, he's believing the old lies. 
What does he say? He says, I'm the only one left. They're all gone. I'm all alone. He says, I'm going to die. My purpose as a prophet is gone. He says, I have to run in fear. My life is in their hands. We need to identify the lies that we are believing and wash them in the truth of who God is, who he's made you to be and what he's called you to. Proverbs tells us as a man thinks, so he is. And so we have to ask ourselves, what lies are leading to this misery and how do we rewire? 10 Corinthians 10 five says, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. So how do we do this? Well, here's the, here's how you do it. You identify the lie, you remove it and replace it with truth and you walk in new life. Like we have to be ruthless and saying, we take every thought captive. And so we have to identify the things that we are believing about ourselves or our world or God or those around us that are old truths. And we have to remove them and we have to replace them with the truth of the gospel. We have to have minds that are shaped by the love of Christ. Who is God? What is he like? And what has he said about us? We have to be ruthless about it and then walk in new life. So with Elijah here, what, what do we see? We see this is a perfect example. He's believing these lies that he's the only faithful one that they have power over him. And therefore his life is no longer worth living. What is the truth? It is Jezebel in control. No, God is in control. He's sovereign over this situation. It's not people. He's not alone. God's going to tell him in a second here, there's 7,000 other remnants that have stayed faithful and not have, have not bowed the knee. Why, why do you say you're alone? You're not alone in these things. And in God still has purpose for his prophet. And so what does it look like for him to walk in new life? He's still a prophet with purpose and calling on his life. I, I want to give you some examples because I need you to see how powerful this is. You need to identify the lies you're believing. Here, here's one of them. Uh, because of my past sins, I am scum. I'm worthless. I'm unlovable. But what does Romans say? It says, therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the, remove the lie, replace it with truth and walk in new life. You are no longer bound by the failures of your past. You are forgiven, free, righteous. So live like it. That's what transformation looks like. It's a new way of thinking. Another lie. I'm a victim. Nothing good has ever happened to me. Man, our culture has a victim mentality so strongly right now. What do we need to replace that with? The truth. Romans 8 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. What does it look like to walk in new life? I'm not a victim. I'm a victor in Christ. What trials face me? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Another lie. No one loves me. I am not good enough. I am unseen. Replace it with truth. Read, read, apparently read Romans. It's just, it's just slaying us, right? Romans 5. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. So walk in new life means that I am loved, seen, redeemed in Jesus. No matter what anyone says or does to me, no one can take away his demonstration of perfect love. You see how powerful this is? This is why we read the scriptures because you lie to you and the world lies to you, but God does not. God gets to name you. God gets to claim you. God gets to speak your identity and your reality and your future and remind you of your purpose 
and remind you of your calling. Let his voice be the only one driving your identity and calling. There is a war taking place, a war in your mind for your heart and for your very identity. And see all of this, we walk through this, all of this matters. You know why? Because there's some of us in this room that are like, man, like I am tired of this battle. And I don't know why God would even let me go through this. Can I tell you why God, why you're going through this? Because God is using this season of your life to strengthen you. To, to reclaim your faith. For you to actually start to build trust and purpose and identity in him. And he uses these seasons of suffering and weakness to actually bond us closer to him and to, to strengthen us. We, uh, Earlier this year, my wife and I, for our 10 year anniversary, we went with some friends down to Mexico and we're on the beach of Mexico. We're walking down the beach and there's this group of people all huddled around. We're like, what is happening? And there's this turtle that has uh, paddled its way up the sand and has dug a hole and is laying these eggs. And so you're sitting there watching and you're like, this is incredible. And so we keep walking down the beach and there's this spot where, um, where a turtle had done that previously weeks or months, you know, before and all the eggs are hatching. And so there's these tiny little, just like baby turtles, like paddling their way down the sand you know, into, into the shore and into the ocean. It's like incredible. And there's this group of girls, you know, they're they're They come up and they, and they, they get their, they, they're, they're Instagramming it and they're t- taking these turtles and they're like smiling with it. And then they're walking it. We're saving the turtles. Yay. Kudos. Like put it in the plop, you know, put it in the water. And so they're kind of just doing this. We're like, Oh, whatever. That's fine. And this lady, this older crotchety looking lady walks up next to me and stands next to me, folds her arms. And she goes, all those turtles are going to die. I'm like, you seem sweet. What is like, I'm like, what do you mean? Like, why would you say that? Like, no, they're bringing them there. They swim. Like, that's what they're doing. They're going for the ocean anyway. They're just helping them along. And she goes, no, you don't understand. It's the process of having to struggle through the sand and those first waves that actually gives those turtles the strength to survive in the ocean. And so all those turtles are going to die because they're skipping the process. And I thought, man, what a picture for the Christian life. You look at the struggles that you're facing right now and the battles you're going through and you think, God, why would you allow this? You know why he would? Because he has a big calling on your life. And he wants to use the pain and the heartache and the heartbreak that you're going through. If you would surrender it and submit it to him, he wants to use it to bring about transformation in people's lives. Look at what he says to Elijah. It feels almost confusing at first. He says, and the Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elijah, the son of Shaphat, you shall anoint to be the prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. This seems so weird, right? God brings Elijah out of this depression. He says, meet me at Mount Horeb. And he, and and Elijah pours his heart out. And then he gives him this list, go do this and go do this and put this person to death. And this person's going to, you're almost like confused at first, except for if you understand and you know what Elijah's purpose is. What is Elijah? He's a prophet. 
This is his calling and his purpose in life. And what God is saying to Elijah on the mountain, he says, I am not done with you. You don't get to die yet. I still have purpose for you. And I need you to hear this, whether you're dealing with anxiety or depression or discouragement, God is not done with you. You need to walk this road. You need to connect with him in his grace and his goodness. You need to allow him to name you and to claim you and to speak your identity and calling for where he's taking you and how he's going to use you. Yes, this valley has been dark. It has been brutal. It has been painful. But God is meeting you there. And he's given you strength and connection and relationship for the journey ahead. And so don't be done. No one's going to come do this for you. And I I get it. You feel all alone, but you are not alone. And it's not going to just go away. But the time is now to get up, to move forward in your calling, to connect with your creator, to rewire your mind because God is not done with you. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your goodness. We thank you for your word and how timely and timeless it is. Lord, for those of us in this room that are just feeling overwhelmed by the sorrow we feel, those, those of us who are just under a constant rain cloud, those who are driven by anxiety and fear, would you be done with that? Would you heal us of our brokenness? Would you speak to our identity, who we are and what we're called to be? Lord, would you use us to speak hope and grace and truth and love to those around us. Lord, you are not done with us yet. Would we believe that and walk in your grace? In your name.